so that if I've got money that goes to my son or my daughter, that money is going to stay with them whether or not they ever get divorced. They will always control that money and it will always be there for them and for my grandchildren. And that divorce protection is very, very important because, you know, we don't like to talk about it, It's but the divorce rate in this country runs around 49-50%, which means if you've got two kids, odds are one gets divorced at some point in their lives. And if we can protect against that, it's something we should probably do. Let us help you reach your peak in retirement. It's time for your Retirement Elevated. Welcome to today's podcast. Uh, my name is Scott Dugan. I'll be your host today, joined with uh, Chris Gaughan and Casey Keneally of Gaughan and Keneally Estate Planning Attorneys. Gentlemen, happy to have you here. How are you doing today? Yeah, we're doing great. Thanks for having us, Scott. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks, Scott. Absolutely. Well, if you've listened to a few of our other podcasts, we've been going through uh, what we call our Estate Planning 101 series, where Chris and Casey are taking a very popular topic of estate planning and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces, easy to understand with actionable things at the end. And so our today's topic in Estate Planning 101, uh, we're going to talk about the difference between wills and trusts. And I know I we get this question quite a bit um, in our financial planning classes that we teach at universities, uh, now digitally uh, because of the current situation of the pandemic. But gentlemen, I want to turn over the, the floor to you and let you cover wills and trust and uh, really dive in there and give people some great information today. Perfect. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it, Scott. So Absolutely. As, as estate planners, the number one question that we get without a doubt is what is the difference between a will and a trust? People have heard those terms. They, they know what they are, kind of, but sometimes they don't quite know the difference and they don't quite know which one of those that they might need. And so today what we want to do is just kind of break that down in a very simple way for you. So we're going to talk about it kind of in four parts. Uh, first, what if I don't have either? So we say, hey, do you have a will or a trust? What if you don't have either one? What if you have nothing? What happens? And then we're going to talk about what exactly is a will? What exactly is a trust and the difference between the two of them? And then we're going to give you some tips on how maybe you would choose between a will and a trust for your family. Because some people say, you know, I just need the will or do I just need the trust or do I need both? How, how exactly does that work? Chris, tell us what happens if you don't have either a will or a trust? What, what should you do? Yeah, so let's start real simple here. And the reason why I talk about this first is because it's so common. Um, we have come across studies that suggest that as many as 70% of people, so not 17, 70, uh, as many as 70% of people don't have a will or a trust when they die. And so if you don't have an estate plan at the time you pass away, um, state law is basically going to govern where your stuff goes. And they call those state laws the laws of intestacy. And so essentially, if you don't have your own instructions on who's going to be in charge and where things are going to go, uh, then state law is going to dictate that for you. And a judge is going to be the one that, uh, that makes that happen. And so this is where probate comes in. You know, probate is this scary word. A lot of people hear it uh, and you hear it all the time, but people don't really know what it is. And probate is really just a process of retitling assets when you die. And so let's just say that my wife and I uh, have our house and we have it titled in our individual names. Well, when we die, there has to be some way to get that house over to our kids' names, right? The kids have to become the new owners of it or the kids, you know, it, it would need to be sold and the money would have to go to the kids. Well, how does that actually happen? Like my kids, you know, they can't just add their name to the deed. And so probate 
um, is just the process of, of switching title on assets and moving them on to the next generation when someone dies. And there are a couple of drawbacks to probate, uh, but the biggest one is really the cost, is the expense. We tell clients to expect probate fees of around 3 to 5% of the gross value of whatever has to go through probate. And so let's just break this down real simple. Let's say we've got a house that's worth $250,000. And let's say there's a mortgage for $200,000, so a pretty good size mortgage on it. Well, that 3 to 5% probate fee, it applies regardless of the mortgage. We look at the total value, that $250,000 house. And so to get that house through probate, we're looking at anywhere from $7,500 to $12,500. That's a lot of money, a lot of money. And in addition to that cost, it's very, very time consuming. Uh, probate takes anywhere from about 12 to 18 months. And so, of course, um, you know, the house is sitting there and there's, there's other issues, obviously, that's sitting there because there's carrying costs and whatnot, but it's just this long, drawn-out process. And the other thing that we have to really emphasize on probate is um, once that happens, once that process is initiated, the court is in control. The court system, just a judge that doesn't know you, that doesn't know your family, they're going to be the ones that decide who's in charge, and they're also going to be the ones that, that decide where everything goes. And it will be a combination of following state law and, and um, kind of looking at the circumstances surrounding the family. But the vast majority of the time, people um, that find themselves in probate really wish that they had never ended up there. So now that we kind of talked about what happens if you, if you don't have a will or a trust, let's get a little more specific and talk about what happens if you do have a will or do have a trust. Yeah, perfect. So easy question. What is a will? Simplest definition that we can give you. It's a written set of instructions naming who is in charge and where your stuff goes when you die. That's what it is. It's just instructions that says, I want this person to be in charge and I want this stuff to go to these people. And it could be your spouse, your children, charities, friends. It can be literally anybody. Now, the misconception that we get on this one, of course, is, is I want to I tweak that definition just a little bit because it's a written set of instructions, but it's a written set of instructions to a judge naming who is in charge and where things go. And this is something that most people don't quite understand. A lot of people think, gosh, if I have a will, I don't have to go through probate. That's not actually correct. The will is just the instructions to the judge about who to put in charge and where those things go. So when Chris was talking about intestate succession or intestacy, that was if nothing was written down at all. So people would apply, you know, hey, I'm your spouse. I think I should be in charge. Or maybe one of the kids says I should be in charge. There's all these different people that might come forward and the state law is going to dictate who's in charge and where the things go. Typically, most of it to your spouse and your kids. A will might say, I don't want anything to go to my kids. I want it to go to a charity or I want it to be split equally between my kids or, or whatever. But that will, is, those instructions are only valid if the judge is the one doing it. So if you take a will to a bank, to a financial planner, to a real estate agent, they can't do anything with it unless a judge gives them an order to follow that. And that order comes from, you guessed it, probate. So whether you're in intestate succession or you use a will, you're still going through that same probate process. So when Chris was talking about the time and the fees and all the things that encompass probate, you're still going through that with a will. You just get to choose the person that's in charge and get to choose specifically where those items go when you pass away rather than relying on state law. So Yes, it's better than not having anything at all, but a lot of times if you're wanting to escape probate or not go through probate, a will is not the way you should do that. One way that you can escape probate and avoid it uh, is, is a trust. And so hopefully uh, Chris will kind of tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I will tell you this is personally what my wife and I use for our estate plan. Um, when my folks wanted to get their things updated, I suggested and, and uh, 
and they agreed that a trust was the appropriate way to handle their affairs. A trust is, is just kind of like a more sophisticated version of a will. I always tell people it's like a will, but on steroids. And so a trust is written instructions explaining where things go when you die. Remember, with a will, you have to get court authority. You have to get you know, a judge to sign off on whatever you're doing. With a trust, the person who's in charge, the trustee, doesn't have to deal with the court system at all, right? So the fundamental main difference between wills and trust is that things that go through a will have to go through probate. Things held in trust do not. They are able to be sold or transferred immediately after you pass away without having any of the the delays of probate, any of the probate fees, it saves us that three to 5%. And so essentially what we're doing is we're saying, hey, I'm going to put someone that I trust in a position of authority, and I'm going to give them the legal authority to manage my affairs, to sell my assets, to transfer things to my kids when I die without court oversight. And so all we're, you know, at the end of the day, the goal is simplicity. The goal is to have things transferred easily without oversight or unnecessary administrative cost. And that's why a lot of people tend to use trust, you know, just to have that authority there without having to go through the court system. Now, what Scott knows and, and what some of you listening may know, uh, maybe not, Casey and I are lifelong friends. We grew up together. We end up doing the same thing for a living. And so it kind of worked out well when, when we both decided we didn't like having bosses. We like to have our own little show. And uh, as lifelong friends, we are connoisseurs of 80s trivia and kind of 80s silliness. And so I have this last little bullet point here. But wait, there's more because I always love all the game show stuff and the, you know, the ShamWow and the Mighty Putty, <laughs> all the, the crazy stuff on TV. So, Casey, are there any other reasons people might think about using a trust? Why, yes, Chris, there are. That's almost like a game show right there. Look at that transition. That's fantastic. <laughs> there are some other benefits that you get with a trust that you just don't get when you have a will or some other type of estate plan. And for some people, these are very valuable and absolutely worth it to do these things. So the first one that we always talk about is remarriage protection. So the example I want to give you is, well, quite frankly, I have three little daughters at home and Chris has a daughter and we have collectively seen every Disney princess movie, what, a few hundred times probably, Chris, something (laughs) like that. That's an understatement. Uh, my, My oldest daughter, Isabel, when she was much younger, really, really liked Cinderella. And so we would watch Cinderella over and over and over again. And of course, people think it's a wonderful story about a prince and a princess and a glass slipper. And as an estate planning father who's watching this movie with his daughter, uh, I think it's more like a horror movie. It's not a movie about a prince and a princess and a glass slipper. It's actually about a, a father who didn't do his estate plan right and unintentionally disinherited his daughter, which sounds silly and kind of harsh. But when you think about the story, that's really what happened. Um, Cinderella's mother died. Dad went off and married evil stepmother, and he, he put all his assets joint with evil stepmother, and then dad died, evil stepmother inherited everything, and put Cinderella in a broom closet. As an estate planning father, this terrified me. This is one of those things that I, I would stay awake at night thinking, oh my gosh, if I die and my wife gets remarried, my kids could end up with nothing if this isn't done the right way. Well, with a trust, we can actually solve that problem. And one of the things we do in a lot of the trusts that Chris and I write is we actually put a remarriage protection clause in there. And so what that basically says is essentially if the spouse dies and the other spouse wants to get remarried, that's perfectly fine. But we require a prenuptial agreement to be signed before they get married so that the trust cannot be modified. And what that does, it ensures that the money that's supposed to go to your children actually goes to your kids. You can't unintentionally disinherit them. Uh, You can't modify who the beneficiaries are. It ensures that your kids are taken care of. And that gives people an incredible amount of peace of mind. It gives me peace of mind so I know that if I don't come home tonight, I know my kids are always going to be taken care of. And that's really powerful. And that's something 
so powerful that it's really worth having an estate plan in and of itself, uh, apart from any of the other things we're talking about, because that's really what we're trying to do for people is give them that kind of peace of mind. So they feel comfortable. And so they know their family's going to be taken care of. So remarriage protection absolutely is, is a huge benefit of a trust. Another benefit is divorce protection. This isn't necessarily divorce protection for the two people setting up the trust, if you're married, right? So you set up a married joint trust. It's not necessarily divorce protection between my wife and I. What we're really talking about is what happens if I give my kids a big inheritance and then down the road, they get divorced. Does part of that inheritance go off to some stepdaughter or stepson that I don't really care for, right? Do we want that money to go to those places? And with the trust, we can actually set up the, the inheritances for children to be divorce protected. So that if I've got money that goes to my son or my daughter, that money is going to stay with them whether or not they ever get divorced. They will always control that money and it will always be there for them and for my grandchildren. And that divorce protection is very, very important because, you know, we don't like to talk about it. It's, but the divorce rate in this country runs around 49, 50%, which means if you've got two kids, odds are one gets divorced at some point in their lives. And if we can protect against that, it's something we should probably do. And it's a very easy thing for us to do when we use a trust as the estate plan. Uh, another thing that comes up all the time and quite frankly is very important for Chris and I, because we both have young kids. We've both got uh, a handful of children under the age of 18. And I'll be honest, if I die, I'm not wanting to turn over my checkbook to a six-year-old. It doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, and it's, I, frankly, it's not even legal. But we've got young beneficiaries and we say, we're not sure how they're going to manage money in the future. We're not sure what they're going to do. Is there some way that we can hedge our bets and protect them uh, against difficulties they might have in the future managing money and give them some help? And that's another thing that trusts can do. I think my kids get their money at uh, ages 25, 30, and 35. So we've got it kind of spread out over 10 years. Chris, do you use the same ages or something different? You I've got uh, all the way till 40 just because I didn't grow up until my wife made me around age 40. So I, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, it's safer. Tr trust your kids a little less. Yep. That's fine. That, yep. work, that yep. works good. Yep. <laughs> but um, we, we want to make sure those kids are taken care of the right way and they've got somebody helping support them when they do get an inheritance. Another big one, and this kind of rolls from the young beneficiaries is money management concerns. We say money management concerns. This is this is the people that don't manage money very well. As soon as they get money in their pocket, it's already spent. We wanna make sure that we've got somebody to help oversee what those folks are doing, uh, usually your kids, to make sure that money lasts a long time. Unfortunately, a lot of kids get an inheritance. It feels like monopoly money. They spend it immediately and it doesn't have any long-term or lasting impact for them. And with a trust, we can actually engineer some, some things to make sure that money lasts longer. And we can make sure that they've got a safety net there for the rest of their lives. And that's a big deal for a lot of people because if mom and dad aren't there to help and they've always relied on that help and then the money disappears, sometimes that can put them in a real rock and a hard place. And this is one way that we can help with that on a long, longer term basis. Uh, and then finally, one of the other benefits of a trust, and this doesn't affect every family out there, but it does affect quite a few. And we always like to bring it up. If you have a child with special needs, so they receive government assistance for medical care or a housing subsidy or a job subsidy, oftentimes when they receive those types of government benefits, if they receive an inheritance, it's going to kick them over the asset threshold where they're going to lose those benefits. And so we never want to give a direct inheritance to somebody receiving government benefits like that. And so one of the ways we can do that with the trust is we can actually put money for that child into a special needs trust or a supplemental needs trust which supplements what the government does without ever cutting off the benefits. Again, it doesn't affect every family, but if you've got that in your family and, and that sounds like something that maybe you or one of your kids or, or somebody else that you know has, it's very, very important to set that up the right way so we don't affect those benefits and they lose their medical coverage. Well, good. So uh, as we kind of head into the, the very end here of our session, 
one of our things in our office, if you've listened to one of our other podcasts, you've probably come across this. Our goal in anything we do, any type of interaction with, with uh, clients or just you know, folks out in the world, we love to provide useful and actionable information. And so we wanted to take just a second and kind of help people figure out, okay, so if I want to do something, if I, if I wanted to have an estate plan put in place, how would I actually know whether I should have a will or a trust? And this is a little bit tricky. You know, I know that, uh, Scott, I've heard you say this, that you don't like rules of thumb. We don't like rules of thumb either. That's one of those uh, ways to get in trouble. But I, there are some um, places I always like to start a discussion. And so the first thing I always look at when I'm visiting with clients and figuring out whether we should, should be looking at a will or a trust is we figure out whether they own a home or not, whether they have real estate. I will tell you, um, it's relatively easy to name beneficiaries on bank accounts and life insurance and IRAs and things like that not so easy on real estate. And so it tends to be real estate. It tends to be homes or land or rental properties that end up getting tied up in probate when people die. And so as a, as a pretty general rule, if you own a house and you plan on owning a house long-term, we would normally look at putting a trust together. That way there's no probate when you die. It will be much easier to sell if you have some kind of, of ongoing health uh, issue or incapacity at the later stages of your life. And so anyway, real estate's a, a pretty good way to, to figure that out. Now, also, in addition to whether folks own real estate or not, we also look at their asset level. And, um, you know, if, if your assets are starting to creep up over 300, maybe $350,000, we're usually going to look at a revocable trust for your estate plan instead of a will. Why is that? Well, as you accumulate more stuff and as your, your net worth goes up, mistakes start getting more and more expensive. And once you've gotten to that point where you're at, you know, three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars and more in assets, it normally makes sense to have a trust, just because trusts give us a lot more flexibility for contingency planning. Um, there are some more sophisticated tax strategies we can implement as part of a trust. So anyway, that's a that's a pretty good place to look. You know, if you even if you don't have a house and assets are up at that three three fifty range, probably looking at a trust. And then all of the issues Casey mentioned a moment ago. Um, you know, I, I am uh, an optimistic guy. I've been married to my wife since we were 25 years old. I hope to, to be married to her forever. But we know the divorce rate in the U.S. is so high. It's about 50 percent. I know that of all the things I hear from clients, uh, what, what tends to be the overarching theme is, you know, I really like my daughter-in-law. Sometimes I like her better than my son. But you just never know because the divorce rate is so high. And so if we are worried about money going to the kids and, and then maybe not having a, a marriage that lasts the rest of their life, well, we tend to look at using a trust. It gives us more ability to protect those assets. The remarriage issue is big for me personally. Uh, my wife's dad died at age 40 with no life insurance. And so she grew up much harder than the rest of us. We've kind of gone the other direction. We are overinsured. We have too much life insurance in some respects. And if something happens to either of us, we want to make sure that money is always there for our kids. It doesn't accidentally go to, you know, a, a new spouse if one of us died and we got married again. Concerns about young beneficiaries. We talked about that. I've got three young kids and Casey's got four. And the thought of my kids having a bunch of money when they're 15 just terrifies me, just terrifies me. And so anyway, generally, those are going to be pretty good rules. If you're worried about any of those things, we're going to be looking at a trust as opposed to a will. And so kind of wrapping things up, um, what do I do next? You know, what if, what if I, I want to do something, but I don't know where to begin? Um, really, the next steps are to reach out to an estate planning attorney. Of course, you're welcome to call us. We have a special relationship with Scott's office. We normally um, charge folks that come and see us. But if they get referred by Scott, we don't charge them to come in. So it saves them 350 bucks. 
And what we do is just kind of sit down with you. It's very informal, you know, ask you questions about your family, basic stuff about your finances and just tell you, hey, here's what we think would be a good fit for your situation. And here's what it would cost if you'd like help doing it. So I think that's kind of the end of our session. Um, Scott, any other information that we can provide that'd be helpful? No, I, th- I think you've done a great job of, of hitting the the important aspects of the between a difference between a will and a trust. And I will stress what Chris and Casey have talked about is it's going to be dependent on your situation. I can tell you that a vast majority of our clients uh, that we take care of because of their asset level, uh, you know, because of their retirement funds, income, and also real estate holdings, a trust is going to make the most sense uh, in a lot of cases, as what I've seen. Uh, just like with Chris, uh, myself, our employees, advisors, uh, we have trusts in place because we feel that's a better instrument to make sure that our our goals and our desires are carried out the most efficiently and effectively. And you know th- that we feel like a trust is that vehicle. And so again, if you're listening, if you uh, do not have your legal documents in place, I think it's worth giving Chris and Casey a call, 913-262-2000, uh, to set a time to talk to them about what makes the most sense for your situation. Uh, I can also say if you do have estate planning documents in place, uh, but you wonder, are they accurate? Are they up to date? How many Cracker Jack top box tops did you have to use to get that uh, we've we've all seen the the inexpensive uh trust documents and I, i'll share a story as we close today several years ago i had a client uh saying hey we know that we should probably go you know see an estate plan attorney uh, but we found this gentleman that he's very inexpensive uh but i think at that time it was about five hundred dollars uh, to do the trust said, well, I said, you, you're probably going to get what you pay for. Uh, I would not encourage you to do that, but you have to make that decision. So, uh, dad did save some money having that trust drafted. Uh, the problem is that dad misplaced that trust and never gave a copy to anyone. And so they called me and said, what should I do? I said, well, you should probably call that attorney and get a copy from him. The kids called the attorney, the firm. Guess what? Number one, the attorney had retired. And I said, well, did they give you a copy? Said, no, he actually never kept copies of any of the legal documents that he drafted. So dad saved some money having that trust done, but the kids could not use it because they never had a copy of it. So it, moral of the story, you get what you pay for. I know our clients get a, a very uh, respectable cost when they go over to Chris and Casey. So highly encourage you to do that and just make sure that your, your assets, your legal documents are all in place. So gentlemen, thanks again for your time today. And uh, we look forward to the next time we go into our Estate Planning 101 podcast. You guys have a great day. Awesome. Thanks. Take care, Scott. Investment advisory services offered through Elevated Capital Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.